Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, let's stand. We're going to sing a Christmas song right off the bat this morning. Let's stand and sing. to worship now let's just let's just enter into a time of worship we're going to welcome the holy spirit into this place we want him to continue doing what he's been doing all weekend in psalms 99 it says the lord is king let the nations tremble he sits on his throne between the cherubim let the whole earth quake let them praise your great and awesome name because your name is holy. And we believe that, Lord. Jesus, your name is holy and mighty, and we want to lift up your mighty name this morning. So let's sing to him, church. As the Spirit was moving, 
Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. And come, Spirit, when you move, you make my heart bow. When you feel the
Please be seated. My name is Trevor Davis. I'm the pastor here, and I want to welcome you to our Lord's Day Fellowship at Great Commission Church. Thank you for being with us. We gather here every Sunday because Jesus is risen from the dead, and he has invaded our lives and rescued us from the wrath of God and shown us God's love and grace. And so we've never been the same. So we keep meeting, giving him praise and preaching the gospel. And we're glad that you came to our meeting. We're going to do that today. And I wanted to do a couple of housekeeping duties and then say a prayer. And a good friend of mine is going to come and address our congregation after that. There's a couple of things in your seats I want you to put your hands on. The first one is this welcome card. We call it our, our ministry card. And, and it's so important to us. We're on a we're on a 24-year unbroken streak of every Sunday morning asking for these, and every, every week we get hundreds, literally, and we have since we were a very, very small church, hundreds of prayer needs that people have. And we have faithfully, audibly, out loud, together as a staff and a group of elders, prayed for these prayer requests for nearly a quarter of a century, and the Lord has blessed people because of our commitment to prayer. And so... Would you, would you let us pray for you? You can put things. Sometimes people write us small novels, right? Sometimes it's just a word. God is such a good communicator, he can figure it all out. And we, we long to pray for you. And so you'll be able to, to uh, insert these in the, any of these collection boxes in the, in the room uh, later. Or there'll be a, maybe an offering plate comes by. I'm, I'm, lots of ways to give that to us. Would you let us know your name? And on the, on the front, there's going to be some next steps. And I'm going to ask you to take a couple of those at the end of my message today. So that's very important to us. We worship God with these. Would you worship the Lord with us by doing that? And here's the second thing. Today's our gift for Jesus, our Lord's Sunday. And it, it, we do a special envelope for this offering. And, and our church does this as a group. And so in a few minutes, we're all just going to bring these envelopes up here. We're going to put them in these receptacles. And we're going to worship the Lord. Let me tell you what gift for Jesus is. Christmas is... It used to be celebrating the birth of Jesus, right? Um, our culture has gotten away from that, but the church shouldn't. And so to honor Jesus' birthday, here's the challenge we've made to our church. And it's, it's a way that we discipline ourselves and we, we win over greed. We say, we're not going to spend more money on Jesus' birthday on anybody but him. And we'll, we'll, we'll give gifts to our family and friends, but our church's commitment is, Jesus, you get the biggest gift on your birthday, and so we've been doing that for lots of years. It's helped lots of families. And so, um, so that's why we call it Gift for Jesus, Our Lord. It's a special offering. Why do you do special offerings? Really? You need money. That's why we do special offerings. The churches need money. And so we do that to, to worship the Lord, win over greed, and, and celebrate Jesus at, at, his, at his birth. So in, in a few moments, uh, our church is going to bring these envelopes with money in them and some without we're going to put them in here because some of you are going, hey, oh, I didn't know Gift for Jesus was this Sunday. Well, we do it on December the 10th, so we have a couple of more Sundays to receive. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If this is the day you're not going to give, come and participate in this offering. Bring that empty envelope, and as an act of worship and as an act of solidarity, just put it in here and go, hey, look, church, you can count on me to participate in this offering with us. And so if you're a guest, we're not after your money. If you want to uh, participate, you can. That's between you and the Lord, and we will not point you out in any way. That's kind of something we do in-house. Now, we have a special guest today. I want to, I want to uh, introduce him to you. It's so tempting, Hal, not to make fun of you right now. 
because my dad, um, I grew up and you just making fun of me as a little kid and all that, um, but, uh, but I can't because I respect you so much and you've been such a, a, an influencer in, in my life and ministry. I'm grateful that you're here and your wife, Sandy. Um, I know you live in Florida. I don't know where in Florida, but it, I'm jealous. It doesn't matter. Um, but Hal Mayer and his wife, Sandy, are with us today. And Hal was the first ever youth pastor at the church that sent me and Angie out to start this church. Uh, what, was that in the mid-70s? Were you there? That's it. The mid-70s, Hal was the first. And they, I don't think they called you youth pastor. I think they called you youth director. I don't know what you were directing, but... Uh, but Hal's been a friend of our family and a, and a counselor to me from a distance for a long time. And um, he, he and his, his wife, Sandy, are in the area for some family Christmas. And so we're just blessed to have them. And he's going to encourage our church right now. So would you with a, give a big round of applause and welcome Hal Mayer. I even, I even brought a uh, timer up here because Trevor said he'd boot me off the platform for not finishing on time, but I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the opportunity, Trevor. I've loved the Davises for years. Jim and Lynn, we used to laugh our heads off and play football and make fun of Trevor. I think I might even have changed a diaper or two. I'm not sure I was that. I probably didn't. Uh, the, somebody probably said, would you, and I left the room to go do something because I was never good at that, even with my own kids. So I've just enjoyed watching you guys. I came over when you were over in the school, and Trevor and I taught on something. I don't even remember what it was. Marriage, dating, I don't know, jump shots. Uh, neither, one of, neither one of us has that anymore. It's a set shot. But uh, it's been so encouraging for me to see you guys grow. And you guys began as pioneers, right? You're out taking new ground every week. It's set up. It's tear down. It's put signs up. And you're in that mode. And being a pioneer is a lot of fun because you're taking this new ground. Oftentimes what happens when churches get a building is they transition from pioneers to a little bit more settlers mode. You know, and settlers, what they do is they put fences up around the yard, right? And, and they, they elect people to tell them what to do, called committees. And they, they do all this stuff. And what happens over time is they lose their focus of being a pioneer, of taking new ground for Jesus. Because rules start emerging. Um, and some of these rules are necessary, I get it, but I was so pumped and excited to hear that your church, your pastor and leadership team have been chasing down this idea of focusing on the one, right? Uh, focusing on the one, and, and you all know this, you've probably heard a lot of sermons on it now. Uh, out of uh, Luke chapter 15, you've got three different parables that talk about reaching people far from God. And the parable about the one is the 99 sheep, actually 100 sheep and one's lost. The, the shepherd leaves the 99. Now think about that for a one percenter. Leaves the 99 to go find that one. And that's the picture of God. And then you see the, the next story is in the prodigal son, which is incredible picture for a church. Because you've got the father. Where's his eyes? Always at the gate looking for the son returning, right? The son returns. He throws a party, but then what happens? The older brother gets upset. He's been there the whole time. I mean, you never threw a party for me. You didn't do this for me. What, what's this about him? And his son, you don't, he says, son, you don't get it. It, it. It's about the one. And so here's what I call church happens in churches. It's called the older brother syndrome. 
Heard that before, Trevor? Oh, shoot. I was going to tell him I invented it, but maybe not. The older brother syndrome, and here's where it goes. If you don't get the eyes of the father where you're constantly looking outward, you start looking inward. And you're thinking about me and mine. And they talk about a lot of good stuff. So if you're in a church, it's I want more Bible study. Would you give me deeper Bible study? I want more of this. I want more of that. And what happens is because you're in this crowd of the 99, that's all you're hearing. You got to get outside the 99 and you get focused on the one and you'll hear new things, right? So that's always the danger, and it's so easy to get stuck there. But I think it's so cool that you guys have decided, no, we're not going to be for the 99, although they matter. Don't, don't hear me wrong. I mean, please don't go out saying, well, how does it care about people? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's not that. It's just what I know is Jesus came to seek and to save what? Yeah, he didn't come here to give me a more comfortable seat or a better Bible study class or whatever that was. So to embrace the mission, we've got to confront the idea of who are we focusing on? What are we about? A lot of churches will say, you know what, we're going to disciple everybody really good, and after we disciple them, then they'll start reaching people. There's only one challenge with that. It's never worked. Because once you get used to looking inside, it's, it's kind of nice taking care of me, mine, and all that, right? Well, let me tell you my, my story real quick. How I gained maturity, regardless of what Lynn says. Do you all know who Lynn is? Mother Lynn. I was about 24 years old and having fun. Sandy and I got married, and, oh man, I was playing softball. Sandy was playing softball. I was playing AAU basketball and just having a ball, and everybody thought, when are you going to mature? And so we had two kids. And about 30 years old, people started looking at me and said, Hal, you, you've really matured. What, what happened? Did you read a book? Did, did you study the Bible more? And what I realized was it wasn't a function of age, time in the saddle, or a book. It was a function of focus. See, I was no longer looking at me and having fun. I had a family now. I wanted to make sure it was taken care of. Not only my kids learned to love and follow Jesus, but I had a wife I wanted to make sure it was taken care of. And so my focus changed. People said, you've matured. It wasn't that I knew more. And that's where we get stuck in the church, Right? You're going to grow the most when you're reaching people far from God. When you're reaching out and reaching people that mess up your place. Trevor was telling me some of the kids you're reaching and what's going on in the parking lot, and I said, yes. And he looked at me like I was crying. You're getting the right people. If you don't have the right problems, you don't have the right people. I mean, if every prayer meeting is about, this is an old one here, Trevor, an organ recital where they're just praying for somebody who's sick and all that stuff, their organs, that's a joke. Come on, y'all work with me now. I've, I've come a long way to, to drop that joke on you. It's about lost people. I am, one of the things I do now is I coach pastors, and it's a lot of fun, and it's such a challenge as you experience some growth and stability because you turn inward. Uh, the book your team read, Intentional Churches, he talks about in there you need to have a 70% bias towards the one. Why? Because there's this natural attraction back to the 99. 99's not bad, but you want to know how they're going to grow and mature? Not by better Bible studies or better preaching. I can't imagine it being any better. Uh, they didn't laugh or nothing. <clears throat> I, I was serious there. Gee, a tough crowd. 
It's going to happen when every one of you all decide who your one is in your life. See, there's a, there's a corporate one for your church is reaching, and then there's a one you have. Who are you reaching? Who's on your prayer list that you're trying to win to Jesus, right? When the church starts, that's when you mature, not because you went to another Bible study. All those are good. I, I read the Bible every day, have for longer than Trevor's been alive. That's a long, how old are you now? Four, really? Your mom told me she was 52. She had you at three. Mature and maturing churches focus on the one. Dying churches and selfish churches focus on themselves. It's not a function of Bible study. It's a function of focus. So I just want to say, guys, keep your focus where you're going. You'll never get there. That's the fun part. You just keep leaning that way. It's like getting in shape. It's all the time. And it, it's just, you're going to reach, there's plenty of lost people out there. So find you some. Go after them. Share Jesus with them. Bring them here and see what God does. And here's where you'll grow. You start discipling them one-on-one, you'll grow even more. You start teaching, you'll grow even more. So don't get caught in the other older brother syndrome. Keep your focus where the Father's focus is, right? On the one not here yet. God's best to you. I love you guys. Go get them. And as we are focusing on our one, you know, we need to keep asking God for, for protection, for, for clarity, for, for a sound mind. So let's stand and pray and ask God for a sound mind. See you
wash over me. now start making your way towards the gift for Jesus offering receptacles um, we're gonna we're just gonna play lightly while you all start moving around the room and just use this as a as an act of worship
Let's keep singing our praises to our King. For the earth began. 
church. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. You can have a seat. I have in my hands a printout of the top 25 Christmas songs on Spotify. And they're Shakespearean. The lyrics are poetic. Do you care to guess what's number one? The number one song on Christmas song on Spotify this week. I heard it. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Can we just have a moment of silence for that? <laughs> All I Want for Christmas is You. Silent Night, Holy Night, no contest. Mariah wins, right? What do you think the second most popular Christmas song on Spotify this week? It is... Last Christmas by Wham, and people are raising their hands in worship for some reason. In the, um, George Michael's dead, and he was not godly, but um, let's see. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. The very next day, you gave it away. I'm not sure you can get saved if you hear that. Uh, in fact, I looked at all 25 songs. Guess how many of the 25 mentioned the birth of Jesus? Zero. I thought surely we'd get down to like 23 or 24 and somebody. Even, even Andy Williams, it's the most wonderful time of the year. That guy's old. Surely, I went and read the lyrics, not a mention of Jesus. And that, that's okay. Um, if the world is worldly and without Christ, that means we have clientele. Amen? That means we, we still got work to do and Jesus can get glory from uh, redeeming sinners. The reason I wanted to talk to you about song lyrics just for a moment is I want to tell you about this teaching series that I begin today for the next three Sundays um, because I've been, I've been <clears throat> captured by the lyrics of Hark the Herald Angels Sing for the last five years or so. Uh, because, and we're going to sing it every Sunday. We sang it last week, sang it today, we're going to sing it next week. And I've taken three phrases from that Christmas carol and they're the titles and the subjects of the messages I'll be preaching because it's filled with gospel truth. Today, I'm going to talk about God and sinners reconciled. Next week, I'm going to preach a message to you called Hail the Incarnate Deity. And then on Christmas Eve, I'm going to preach about glory to the newborn king. But today, God and sinners reconciled... The question is, do we need to be reconciled to God? Is there, is there some break? Is there some distance? The need for reconciliation assumes that there are some kind of ruptured relationships, that there's alienation from God. But my question is, is the problem with God? Is he some kind of cruel taskmaster that, that humans need to break away from? And the answer is, of course not. Human sinfulness created this break. 
Human sinfulness created the problem, and this sinful condition had to be dealt with before God and man could be reconciled. Did you know that sin incurs God's holy wrath? That means it can't be treated lightly, it can't be treated lightly, and neither can it be swept under the rug. You need to come to church sometimes and hear the truth that makes you a little uncomfortable. God can never be reconciled to sin, but he does not turn sinners away in disgust. He doesn't leave us to our just desserts. He's a good God. He's a reconciling God. So instead, while humans were still in open revolt, God acted in love to bring the hostility to an end and to bring about peace. Peace on earth is something man cannot manufacture. It's something God has to give. Peace in your heart can happen for you, but only through Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And so I want to talk about God and sinners reconciled today. I want you to find 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in your Bibles. Three verses, three points, everything in threes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Let me ask you, would you just breathe a short, quiet prayer for me today? I used to play sports. I used to do manual labor here and there. The, the most draining thing I've ever done on my body is preach and pray for people. And I did that yesterday for about five straight hours. And then today, two sermons for all the saints and all the heathens and then an elders meeting. And then I top it all off with a, going to a funeral today. It's a, it's a long but glorious day. But would you just breathe a five-second prayer for me right now that God would use me in my weakness to preach these three verses. Okay, do you have 2 Corinthians 5.19? It'll be on the screens. That is that God was in Christ. <laughs> What's the next word? Reconciling the world to himself. <laughs> Not imputing their trespasses to them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Would you bow your eyes? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, I guess I'm just going to stumble through this whole sermon. That means you're probably going to use it in a big way. Um, Lord, would you reconcile sinners to yourself at the foolishness of my preaching? Would you bring those who on the outside of your family looking in, would you bring them through the doorway today? And God, for the saints. For the saints whose hearts are racing and rejoicing, and then those on the other end who are suffering. Would you show your great love in these next few minutes? Would you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive? 
And we pray that the enemy won't steal the seed that's going to be planted in these next few moments. All for your glory, Jesus. All for the saving of sinners. All for the honor of God. In Jesus' name. And a faithful church said, Amen. Amen. Let's make a distinction between two Bible words. One word is justified, the other word is reconciled. To be justified is a judicial term. It's used in the courts. Did you know that a judge may acquit an accused person without ever entering into any kind of personal relationship with him or her? He just announces the verdict, not guilty. Does the accused then expect to be invited over to dinner at the judge's house? Of course not. In fact, he probably hopes he never sees the judge again. He's justified because the verdict is announced. That's a judicial term. The other term is our term in our our Christmas carol and in our text today. It's the word reconciled. Reconciled is a relationship term. We enjoy the company of those to whom we've been reconciled. So listen to me. When God reconciles with sinners, he's the judge who then invites that sinner that he's acquitted into his home for dinner. He goes from judge to father. And you need him to make that switch in your life as soon as you possibly can. You need God to go from your judge to your father. And if you don't receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't follow his rules, if you don't obey his gospel, if you don't submit yourself to Jesus, God remains your judge and your sentence will be guilty and you'll pay for your sins. And that's ridiculous because Jesus has already paid for them for you. So you need to be reconciled. (laughs) Why is this necessary? Because the judge is the one who's been sinned against. He's the focus of all the personal hostility. So let me tell you what doesn't happen. God doesn't simply make a bookkeeping alteration by dropping the charges against us. You see, after he acquits you and declares you not guilty, when he reconciles with you, listen very carefully, he gives himself to you in friendship. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. A servant doesn't know his master's business. From now on, I call you friends. You know what the job of the local church is? It's to help Jesus get more friends. He wants to be your friend. And he's alive. He's not some some cosmic guru that we talk about in affectionate terms and wish we could meet one day. Jesus Christ is alive right now. He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you as your defense attorney. You need this friend. You need to be reconciled to him. So... Here's the sermon outline. It, it, it's, it's a question with three answers. What's required for God and sinners to be reconciled? What's required? And just three things, one in each verse. The first thing that's required for God and sinners to be reconciled is Christ not charging us for our sins. You know what verse 19 says? Not imputing their trespasses to them. If Jesus charges you full price for your sins, you're doomed. If you leave this life owing him anything, you owe him, you owe him everything, and you can't pay it, and it's, not, it's guilty for you. 
not imputing their trespasses to them. God's act of reconciliation requires a human response. Have you made this human response? There is no reconciliation where, where one side is willing to put the past behind them, but the other side merely just takes advantage of it. They're not reconciled. Reconciling requires both sides to acknowledge there's been a wrong done and for the injured party to let go of the pain. Now listen to me. God has already confronted us with our transgressions, but he's taken the initiative in Christ to resolve the problem that we created. Friends, God has let go of the pain of our willful rebellion. And he does not count our trespasses against us. It's really too good to be true. But it remains for us to admit that we've done wrong. It remains for us to repent and turn away. And it remains for us to receive God's offer of friendship. What's required for God and sinners to be reconciled? That Jesus doesn't charge you for your sins. Number two, what's required for God and sinners to be reconciled? Other humans entreating us to believe. You know what it says? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Hey, look at me. Who witnessed to you and now you're a Christian? Who's the first person that told you out of all the bad news that's wrecked your life, there's good news that can change everything? Who took you by the hand and brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light? When's the last time you thanked him? Because, you see, God says through the foolishness of preaching, he, he saves sinners. It's the worst medium ever. You people don't remember what I preached three weeks ago. You, you, you want to know how I know? Because I don't remember what I preached three weeks ago. You, you don't remember what you hear unless God puts grace on it and opens your heart. Does that make sense? It, this stuff shouldn't work. There shouldn't be a group of 200 people here every week or whatever it is. In voluntarily giving money and your time and serving. Who else can do that? This, this is the work of God. And he always chooses to do it in a way that's easy to reject. So it's easy to be indifferent and kind of set aside this whole idea that if you listen to a sermon, it might change your, your eternity. But when that happens, God gets all the glory. You see... Other humans entreating us to believe is God's design. The ministry of reconciliation involves more than simply explaining to others what God has done in Christ. It requires us to become active reconcilers ourselves. That's why I appreciated uh, Hal's exhortation earlier. You know, the, the most selfless thing a church can ever do is grow. It, it, it's the... It's the most self-giving, the most sacrificing thing. Somebody might have to sit in your seat or get your parking spot. You know what? To grow, folks might come into this church that don't know the Lord and don't have his graces and don't, and don't have all of the sanctifying work that happens over years of Christian life, and they might be unruly, and their kids might be mean to your kids in the children's ministry. And you've got to ask, is, aren't you glad that somebody didn't say that about you. Say, so, you know what? They're just, they're just a little too rough 
for me to, 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 to spend my time and invest in. Does that make sense? Somebody said to you, be reconciled to God, and it's the best thing anybody ever said to you. Isn't that right? Look, our modern, Paul, Paul says he's an ambassador. Do you know what an ambassador is? I mean, our modern concept of an ambassador as an official of the highest rank, chosen and certified by one government to represent that government before another government. It, we we kind of got this idea. It helps us appreciate the magnitude of Paul's claim. But let me, you need to understand what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the spokesperson of the most powerful being in the whole universe. I speak for God. I am Christ's ambassador. He doesn't act on his own authority. He acts under the auspices of a greater power who sent him. And Paul, therefore, understands himself to be divinely authorized to announce to the world God's terms for peace. And it's not just Paul. If you read the verse, we have the same authorization. Let me tell you two things about ambassadors in the ancient world. Just some historical context that will help us understand. You need, to, you need to know that if you were an official ambassador of any nation in the ancient Near East, you were never to be mistreated or, or hurt or imprisoned in any way by a foreign government. If you did, it was, it was a cry for war. So that you enjoyed safe passage. Uh, if you're going between the nations to, to send the message from a king, no one was to touch you. In fact, they were to give you food and and, and lodging along the way. But you know what Paul, the Apostle Paul called himself in Ephesians 6.20? He said, I'm an ambassador in chains. I, I'm the ambassador that's been imprisoned. I, I'm the one that was treated the way you're never to treat an ambassador. I'm, you see, there, there's a cost when you want to bring people out of darkness into light. It, it's hard. And, and it requires effort and and things happen to you that don't happen to everybody else. Paul being an ambassador in chains is appropriate as a representative for Jesus because Jesus was put to death by worldly powers. You know what Jesus said about us? No servant's greater than his master. John 15, the world hated you. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Jesus said, hated me first. You're just getting my treatment, and that should reassure you that you're mine. Amen? Good. Yes? Uh, whatever happened to Jesus, if it's happening to you and you claim Jesus, it, 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 that's heaven saying to you, hey, I got you. That's heaven saying to you, um, you, you need to not doubt your salvation because you're getting what your king got. The second thing I want to tell you about ambassadors in the ancient world is all the surviving documents show us that ambassadors and their envoys travel as signs of friendship and goodwill usually to put an end to hostilities and establish peace. Hey, look, if our witness isn't winsome, if our testimony to the community is, come meet Jesus, he has filled us with joy, changed our hearts, and removed all of our prejudices, and, and we're just these big, open-armed Christians that, that have been redeemed by God, and we want you to have the same redemption and the same joy. It, if our message isn't goodwill and friendship... What in the world are we doing? We are, we're against a lot of things because the scriptures teach us that, but we're for more things than we're against. And 
we're just kind of for you first. We want you to meet God because this life is a vapor. And it may feel like a long time to you, but it isn't. Eternity's forever. And, and eternity is binary and bipolar. It's heaven or hell. It's glory or damnation. There is no in-between. There is no purgatory. And there is no second chance after you die. So, for the longest time that you're going to be alive and going to be you is on the other side of your death. And God made you for himself and for his place, heaven. And if you don't get all that right before you leave here, you don't get to go. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Put an end to the hostility that you have between you and God and get the peace of Jesus. And finally today, the third answer to the question, how can, what's required for God and sinners to be reconciled, is an extraordinarily unfair exchange. You know what verse 21 says? For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Can you see that that verse is a juxtaposition? There's two sides to it. It's a flip. It's, a, it's an exchange. It's a trade-off. And it is not fair as a trade. I remember when I was in third grade, there was a deal. We, we would bring our little action figures to, to, to class. Our teacher, for some reason, let us bring our toys from home. And we just traded with our friends. And I, um, I kind of had some of the, my personality then that I have now. And I could, I could see some of my friends. And I, I could realize, I can probably rip that guy off. I can probably offer him like three G.I. Joes for one, but the three that I'm going to offer him are, are, you know, just garbage. And the one is like the, the one even your mama can't find if she starts Christmas shopping in September. And I, I can talk this guy in. I, 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 can, I can make a one-sided trade. Now, look, that was sinful of me. But I was unsaved, and I was nine years old, so give me a break. But Jesus Christ offers you a one-sided trade. He gets all the garbage, and you get all the righteousness. Yeah? God made him who knew no sin to be sin, not even to know sin. It doesn't say God, God made him who knew no sin to know it. He plunged Jesus into it to be it. And what do you get? You get the counsel of heaven declaring you righteous. And when heaven declares it, it's true whether you believe it or live it or not. This is an unfair trade. And this is what it required to reconcile God to men. And this was all God's idea. And this is a gift that heaven holds out for you. So that you can be reconciled to God and not be far away. You know... When it says that he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, you know what Jesus asked in John eight forty six, Which of you convicts me of sin? <laughs> he said, can you find anybody that can charge me with wrongdoing and prove it? Jesus was convinced that he knew no sin. If you want to understand what this verse means, there's a parallel. It's Galatians 3, 13. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. 
This statement matches what he says here. Christ became sin in order that others might become the righteousness of God. Friends, Jesus, the lily of the valley, Jesus, God in human flesh, Jesus, who never did anything wrong, thought anything wrong, perfect holiness from God. That same Jesus became sin for you and became a curse for you. He experienced the consequences for human sin, and I submit to you that's not fair. Is it fair? He didn't earn this. It's just the opposite. The one who lived a sinless life died a sinner's death. He died estranged from God. He died the object of God's wrath. He was treated as a sinner on the cross. This is unthinkable for any of us. It was God's sovereign plan from the beginning, though. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? He's the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. This was always going to happen for him so that you would always have the opportunity to be reconciled with God. And the only clock that's ticking down is the end of your earthly life. And if you know anyone who can tell you when your death's going to occur, you should go meet them so that you can make plans. And if you don't know that person, then right now the Bible says today's the day of salvation. Today's the accepted time. You don't, you don't put this off. God's already done something so magnanimous and so hard to describe and so otherworldly, awesome, and loving. How can you say no another day? Is, it, is this too much? It's too heavy? It's Christmas time. Merry Christmas. <laughs> By the way, Jesus never told us in the scriptures to remember his birth. He always told us to regularly remember his death, resurrection, and ascension. And so the, the birth's important so we can get to the death. And the death's important so that the victory of the resurrection happens. And so that today I can declare to you that Jesus is a risen Lord. That he's alive. And if that's weird to you, I, I fully confess to you we believe weird things. I believe that Jesus' mother was a virgin and conceived him. But let me go even further back. I believe the first verse of the Bible. It's the hardest one to believe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you get past that, the rest that you read's easy. And look, it's all weird. Blood sacrifices, dying on crosses, all of that. But have you met you? It took a weird message to redeem weird sinners. None of us normal. Only God is holy, and he's the standard. Christ doesn't become human to stand in solidarity with humanity. Christ became human to stand in humanity's place and to participate in this twofold impartation. He receives the burden of humanity's sin while humanity receives God's righteousness. I don't want to belabor this. I just want to give God glory because God provided Jesus to stand in for sinful humanity. And even though Jesus was sinless, God deals with him as though he were a sinner by letting him die an accursed death, the death that was meant for us. We don't simply have righteousness from God. We become righteous as a result of being in Christ. So let me give you this last verse 
it's the verse that is the whole idea behind one of the best books I've ever read by Major Ian Thomas, The Saving Life of Christ. Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And it's the saving life of Christ that gives the Christian new life and abundant life. And so here's, I'm going to give you just two, two ways to apply this message to your life. Real simple. It's so simple I'm almost embarrassed. I went to seminary. I'm, I'm smarter than this. But really the, the message that will change your life is the most simplest one anyway. It's the simplest one anyway. What do, what do you do with what you just heard and what you just read from the Bible? Number one, you invite Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Be reconciled to God. Well, pastor, I've already done that. Well, what happened? Did you have a partial birth salvation? Did it just not take? Or did it change everything? Because there's no in-between on this. Invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior Start the journey of eternity. Let our church help you. This is what we're here for. If that's never happened to you, um, and you want, I need, a, I need a card. Forgot to bring it with me. I'm off my game. If you want to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and if you want our church to help you, on this comment card, a next step for you is, Number, it's the second one on the list. Trust Jesus for the first time. If you mark that box and put your name in a way for us to contact you, we'll get you in our ministry orbit. And we'll, we'll set up a time with you. And, and look, here's what we'll do. We're, we'll sit down with you at a convenient time for you and us. We'll open a Bible. And we'll show you what the Bible says to you about how you can have eternal life. And then you get to decide. There'll be no pressure from us. Be no hype, no magic words, just loving truth. Invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That's, for many of us, how you can apply this message to your life. And, and for those of you that are already Christians, number two, invite an unsaved friend to church the next three weeks. Be the ambassador. Even, even if you can't bring your vocal cords to say you need to be reconciled to God, you can, you can say this, hey, Come sit with me at church. The chairs are gray. You'll blend right in. It's awesome. Be my friend. It's Christmas time. Everybody goes to church at Christmas. And it really is a, we need to be um, <clears throat> taking advantage of the Christmas season when people are, are receptive to spiritual things. I, I'll make a deal with you. You bring, a, you bring a friend here that doesn't know Christ in the next three weeks. I promise you they'll hear the gospel when they get here. I promise. And that way you can do what 2 Corinthians 5 19, 20, and 21 teach us, and that is how God and sinners can be reconciled. You think about that. Let's pray today. Nobody looking around? Just vote with me. How many of you say, Pastor, um, I found myself in those verses today, and that be reconciled to God message, it's like God's reading my mail. It's, it's what I need. Um, I really resonated with that. I think God's speaking to me. Would, I just wanted you to know. I wanted you to be encouraged. Would you raise your hand? Pastor, that... I think I'm one of those that needs to be reconciled to God. I need to invite Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Would you, would you just raise your hand so I can, I can see that? Anybody?
takes courage. I think, I think God wants to reconcile with me. All right. Put those hands down. How many of you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm that Christian that needs to invite a friend the next two or three weeks. Would you just pray that I have the courage to do so? I know exactly who I need to invite. Anybody? All right. Well, Father, you saw these hands. You know the hearts. You know the people involved and the ones that, are, that they represent. And so I pray, God, that you would do what the master evangelist does and bring people to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, as we're concluding the service, I wanted to do a, a couple things. Um, one is if the ushers would come forward and we can put that card that Trevor was talking about, you can put that in the basket as it gets passed. And if you're uh, giving an offering today, you can do the same as well. And I really wanted to encourage you, if you write your friend's name that you're planning on inviting next to that a line under the what's next for me, we will pray for them. We will pray for you. We'll pray for boldness for them. We would love to join with you and, and do that. And let me pray for the offering. Father, we are thankful in Jesus' name that we get to give. And God, I pray that it's a joyful experience for many. It's a hard time of year, God, and we're battling materialism, but we know that you are great and you are worth it. And we want to we share Jesus. We want to see the kingdom expand. And God, I pray you do that with this offering. We're also thankful these ministry cards, God, all these prayer requests that are on here. God, I pray you'd answer so many prayer requests this week and we would know it's from you. Help build our faith in this area. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and let's receive the offering. finishing the offering. I was going to give you guys a couple of things that are happening, and all of these can be found in your worship guide. We've got the Gingerbread Bash Outreach. It's a great opportunity to invite uh, folks with uh, small children, some of your neighbors, to come out and just build some great memories, Christmas memories, building gingerbread houses. Um, they will they'll, we'll share the gospel with them. They'll have a great time. They'll be able to take home the gingerbread house and do whatever they want with that. They can eat it or set it up and have a New Year's treat, I guess. Hey, well, our worship team will be at the Light Garden if you wanted to check them out. Uh, we have some great uh, Christmas parties coming up for our Next Generation ministry. So look in your worship guide for all of those things. Hey, we're going to do some prayer ministry. So if the prayer ministry team would come forward, we'll go ahead and let them get set up. So if you're on the prayer ministry team, you come forward. We would uh, love to pray for you. And maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure, you know, if, if I really need, I don't have any prayer requests. Well, that's not what we're asking. We're asking for prayer ministry. They want to minister to you. So you just come up to them and you say, whatever God has for me, that's what I want. And they're going to pray for you. They're going to, they're going to uh, attempt to hear from God what God wants for you. And, and, or you can ask yourself this question, based on the message I just heard, what am I believing God for? And you come up here and you tell them that. You say, hey, based on what I just heard, this is what I'm believing God for. And they're going to pray for you. They're going to, they're going to help lock that in. So on Monday when you wake up, it doesn't slip out. Isn't it so easy for things just to slip out your mind? especially when you're thinking, I want to lock this in. So ask them to do that for you. Would you stand with me?
Hey guys, I'm going to pray for us one last time. It's a, it's a big week we're going into. God, I, we are thankful in Jesus' name that we gathered together with the saints. God, the gospel was clear. And Father, as we go out into the world, God, I pray you'd, uh, we would take that armed with the gospel so we can share that with our friends and family. And God, I pray for this prayer ministry time. Would you be uh, big and show out in this place? God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on forward for prayer. Everyone else is dismissed.